You're listening to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans. If you want to have guarantees, you have to buy a washing machine. We don't lose a match, either we win or we learn. And today we learn. And now, your host, Matt Hello and welcome to another episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans. My name is Matt Markstone. I'm the host of the show. And no matter where you are, no matter how you may be listening, whether this is your first time or you've been here before, thank you for making the show part of your day. I hope that you enjoy it. And the first thing I'd like to do is just say welcome to the new year. Happy new year. I hope that you are feeling well. And even if you're listening a few days after, uh, I hope that you had a good new year. And I hope that 2018 didn't uh, kick you too hard on its way out. Um, But this year, uh, you know, obviously we have things that we'd like to remember about 2018 as a Saints fan. It's probably things we'd like to forget. And hopefully 2019, uh, everybody continues to move onwards. Um, and upwards. And, you know, we, we actually push ourselves. And I think that's one of my goals this year is just to, to kind of push myself to not be so safe with the things that I do, not that I'm going to risk physical danger or anything like that, but uh, I, hopefully you get it, you know, push yourself a little bit, um, test yourself a little bit. I think that's all kind of good because sometimes we get complacent. And my guest this week, uh, Chris Mackey, he is, he is maybe one of those reasons that I would say I, that I need to push myself just a little bit. Um, he's an American. He lives in London. And the things that he's done since the time that he has graduated from college and the decisions he's made, um, he has put himself in some situations and worked with some people that I think most of us uh, would 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 leap at the chance to be able to do. And part of getting him on the show was I wanted to talk to him about that. I wanted to know how he got how he went from attending a small school on the East coast of the United States to living in London and working, um, in world football and helping to spread the story and the love that so many people have and helping connect so many people around the world to the game that they love and that we love, um, and, and doing that. And so I'll be honest that I was a little bit hesitant to ask him to be on the show. And at the same time, he was a little hesitant to come on, not because he didn't think that it was worth his time, but because he didn't think that he maybe was worthy of coming on the show is something that we talked about. And it it just goes to show you that all of us have a little bit of that doubt, because I think that the story that Chris has is so inspiring. um, And I think that it'll do a lot and can say a lot for a lot of people. So uh, whether you're like me and you're kind of, you have your career and you're, you're kind of set in it uh, or whether you're looking for a job or whether you're still in school, um, I'd encourage you to listen to this, to share it with some friends, because I think that uh, just, taking some of these things to heart um, and, and hearing some of the things that Chris has been able to do. Um, it just means that, you know, y- you can do those things too, if you, if you want. And so it takes some breaks from time to time, but um, you can make things happen. And so uh, because of all of that, I couldn't think of a better way to bring in uh, the new year than with this 
episode. And so um, this is my conversation with Chris Mackey. We don't talk about Manchester City. We don't talk about West Ham. We don't talk about any kind of specific Saints game. This is not what this episode is about. This episode is about um, Chris and his story uh, and football and kind of how he got there. And we'll move basically from uh, early kind of life and the role football played in his life um, up through college and, and internships and everything else to, to eventually moving to London and doing the work that he does now. Um, so it is quite lengthy. It's about an hour and a half long, maybe a little longer. So feel free to break it up into chunks if you need, or if you don't have that much time. Um, but I would encourage you to kind of listen all the way through. And, um, if you're into that sort of thing, if you like this kind of stuff, uh, please let me know because from time to time, I do need to pre-record episodes to make sure that we get things out, um, each and every week. And if I was able to kind of back up the normal week to week saint stuff with things like this. If this is something that you're interested in as a, as a listener, um, I would love to hear that. And, uh, yeah, that, 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 that would, that would mean a lot to me if you, if you did that. So, um, anyway, let's go ahead and get into the show. And, uh, I would encourage you to check out the show notes as well, where we have Chris, uh, we have his, we have his Instagram handle, we have his Twitter handle. Um, I would, I would encourage you to follow those because they are just entertaining. Um, and if you're from America, which, somewhere in the neighborhood of, of, of 35 to 40% of the listeners are, you will see some people that you will be familiar with um, come in and out of that feed from time to time. And I think it's, it's, quite, um, it's quite fun. And um, one of the things I should say that, that we didn't actually talk about during the show um, was Chris doesn't live far from the Emirates and he does uh, this thing called Arsenal Fan Fan TV, which is where he watches the Arsenal fans who wait for the Arsenal players after home games and they try to get their autographs at the stoplights that are outside of his house. Um, and basically, it, it, it's made, it, it made Arsenal home games fun again, uh, because for a while there, they were not. Um, so I would encourage you just to check that out if you haven't done so already. But I'm taking up too much time here, so let's get into the interview. And once again, Chris, uh, thank you so much for your time. I cannot thank you enough, but uh, it means a lot, and thank you. All right, so here's the conversation. I'll talk to you after. I'd like to welcome to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, Chris Mackey. Uh, you may be familiar with his, his face and his voice, perhaps, uh, from the Premier League in USA's uh, Match Day Instagram story or a number of other outlets. But um, Chris, it's a pleasure to have you, and I think there's a lot about you that we don't know, and hopefully we get to get into that and uh, a little bit more about what you're doing living in London as an American working on football. Awesome. Well, yeah, thank you. I, I appreciate the opportunity. I'm really excited. So thank you. All right, man. No, no, my, my pleasure and, and no problem. Thanks for being willing to, to do this. Um, so just because like I'm familiar with you and I, there's a, you know, 30% of the audience is, is an American audience and I'm, I'm fairly confident they're familiar with you, but those listeners who maybe live in the UK and maybe don't watch that Premier League in USA stuff or aren't familiar with your work and you had to give them like a, a three word description of you, like what, what would that be for somebody just to get an idea of what, of what you kind of do and, and are just in a, in a, in a quick snippet? Great question. Um, I would say on the personal side, I am, I'm a creative person. Uh, so creative is one of my three words. Uh, I'm an optimist. I, choose to see the, the light in people and the light in, in the world. Uh, and then the third one would be, I don't know, maybe consultant in the sense that I, I really, I think what I've found so far, both in career and personal wise, that I, I really like problem solving. Um, so maybe consultant is or is not the right word, but 
what I really, really enjoy is figuring out where the opportunities are and, and trying to bring new life into opportunities that haven't really existed before. So those are my three words. All right. A little bit of background. Like I, I know you're an American living in London, but like, how'd you get there? It's a great question. So um, I, I, I think maybe the, the place to start is I'm super, super lucky. I'm one of the many Americans, hopefully, and more and more over time that actually gets to work in global football as a career. So I, I moved over to London about 18 months ago. And I, I basically, the easiest way to put it is I work with YouTubers on the agency side. So a lot of branded content, a lot of uh, YouTube productions, that kind of stuff. But um, specifically, a lot of my work happens to be within the global football space. I keep saying global football because if I say American, they make fun of me over here. Or sorry, if I say soccer, they make fun of me over here. And if I say football, they don't know what I'm talking about over here and correct me anyways. So global football right now, at least is my, uh, my easy answer. But uh, yeah, so I, I kind of work with, with YouTubers in the soccer space and in the, in the global football space. Um, and we create content. We do uh, partnerships with brands, that kind of stuff. So I was based out in New York, um, still doing that work. I kind of got my foot in the door with Major League Soccer back uh, a couple of years ago. So I've always been in the soccer space uh, career-wise, but um, only the past 18 months or so have I been able to move out to London and kind of take ownership over our relationships out here. So that's the day job, I would say. Uh, and then on the weekends, as you kind of alluded to, um, I get to work pretty closely with the Premier League, uh, specifically on the PL and USA channel, um, and travel around to different cities around the Premier League um, and kind of take in the, the match day culture and try to highlight some of the unique things that we don't necessarily get to see during the 90 minutes of a match on NBC or whatever it may be. So, yeah, I think it's a really, really fun project and I'm, I'm super honored to be a part of it. Uh, and it obviously opens the doors to talk to more interesting people like you as well. So that's uh, that's the I was going to say 30 second version, but I don't know. It's probably two or three minutes at this point. <laughs> it's, all, it's perfect. Don't, don't worry about it. Um, so, I mean, growing up, you grew up kind of in the United States and, you know, live, me living in California. I know Southern California has kind of a big soccer culture. But for me, like American football, baseball, especially for me, was was like really prevalent growing up. And so I always find it kind of interesting to, to see kind of how people got into soccer or football here in the United States, just because for me, like I didn't actually start watching until I was an adult and it was because my kids wanted to play and I got kind of into it. And now it's been kind of a five or six year period where I've been completely consumed by it. And so like for you growing up, it sounds like you've been kind of involved in, in football or soccer kind of the entire time. So like, when did that happen and, and kind of how did that happen living where you lived and moving around and stuff like that? Yes, it's actually super interesting. And I, I've actually more recently thought a lot about it and I still don't really understand how soccer came to be such a big part of my life. Like there's, there's certainly a career side, which I think we can get into in a little bit. Um, and there's a more linear story there, but in terms of like thinking back to like my first experiences or how I chose soccer, like I grew up moving around a bunch um, I lived in six different states in about a span of 10 years, I would say, maybe. Um, and so my family was always kind of on the move and sports were a really, really big part of my life. Um, I've got two brothers and they both uh, were were very athletic as well, still are very athletic. And my sister as well. So growing up, I played I played all sports. I kicked for the football team in high school. Um, I played baseball as a kid, lacrosse even for a little bit. And for some reason, the one kind of continual thread was soccer from from start to finish. I don't really know how, I mean, I guess it started with the the beauty and the fun of youth soccer, but it ended up being kind of how I planted myself in different social circles whenever we would move. It's just 
soccer is how I met new friends instead of baseball or whatever it may be. So I still don't really understand how I chose soccer over the other sports. My dad was a big baseball guy and, and had a soccer background as well, but by no means was like, he was never our soccer coach or anything like that. And especially like when we look at the places that we lived, I was born in Virginia, but moved to Kentucky and moved to uh, Iowa, uh, Indianola, Iowa, which is just outside Des Moines, like a tiny town. And then we moved to Baltimore, Maryland from there and then to Columbus, Ohio. And so when I look back, like I, I was really starting to identify myself as a soccer player way before I even moved to Maryland, which would have been in fourth grade, I think. So somehow in Indianola, Iowa, I was like really kind of doubling down on soccer as my sport. And I, I still don't really understand clearly how, how that became the sport. I'm 6'3". I wish I played basketball. Um, but at the same time, like I really, really, I can't imagine my life without soccer, but it's strange that I don't really have a, a very clear, like, this is my decision. I'm choosing to quit baseball and play soccer full time now, blah, blah, blah. It was just always like, it was never a decision for me. It was just always part of who I was and how I made my friends every time we'd move. Yeah. And I mean, it sounds like, I mean, did your brothers and sisters, did they choose to go with soccer as well? Or did they play other sports or like, you know, was your dad, was your dad kind of pushing you guys to do any of this stuff or was it just kind of, you know, what you did when you went to school and how you met people kind of like you said? Yeah, I think soccer was always the, the common thread between my brothers and I. My older brother, Tom, played soccer more, more specifically than like when I was when I was younger, I was playing baseball and soccer and a couple others. He tried baseball, didn't really love it. So he was more focused on soccer before I ever was. Uh, and then my little brother, Eric, has definitely played soccer just as much as I did, but also like ran track and stuff that I never chose to do. So I, I don't know. I think like obviously soccer was kind of the, the center of that Venn diagram between us boys. But I think we were also just we were playing video games all the time and we were just kind of like running around and playing whatever you do as a kid, playing tag or catch or whatever. And so we would, we would throw a baseball around, we'd throw a football around or whatnot. But in terms of playing organized sports, soccer just always ended up being, being the one middle ground for us boys. Yeah. I think like, I think back to when my brother and I were younger, he's, I have a brother who's five years younger than me and we would go out and baseball was our big thing. And we would just go out and like basically try to strike each other out. And then it always turned into if one of us got a hit, the next time they were up, they were just going to get hit with the ball. Like, and it was like, <laughs> it, it turned into that. Like the neighbors could, could have just set up shop in the front yards and, and just watch. Cause it was going to end in some sort of like Nolan Ryan, Robin Ventura style, like beat down in the front yard. But, um, once we got to the age where we were like, you know, I was going to junior college. I was like, all right, we got to stop this. Like, this is getting one. You're bigger than me now Two, Like, this is just going to end poorly. So, um, yeah, yeah I don't know. Amazing. I think maybe that, that could have ended up being, kind of a, a contributing factor is that soccer was, uh, yeah, maybe I didn't trust my brothers enough to, <laughs> to play, uh, to play baseball as in depth with them. Uh, I think we, we definitely would have gotten to that, um, beating the batter a lot earlier maybe in the, in the game. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, moving around so much and things like that, like one of the things that I remember most vividly about my childhood is, is going down to, to games and Dodger stadium with my dad. Um, and I'm not a Dodger fan, but it's, no fault of my dad who tried forever to get me to be a Dodger fan, but my brother's a Red Sox fan and I'm a Houston Astros fan, but I have kind of vivid, vivid memories of going down to Dodger stadium and, and seeing like these just, just great, fantastic players play. Like we were at games when the Dodgers went five years in a row where they had the rookie of the year on their team. And like, I remember those guys and that's kind of like iconic in my childhood, but you moving around, did you, did you gravitate towards a professional team that you were able to see? Or do you have like a, like a favorite player uh, from, from those times growing up that really like sticks in your head and like, 
you know, that, that you just think about if I say like, you know, childhood and, and professional football and who's, who do you think of? Yeah. So I think I'll, I'll split it in between basically the era before I moved to Columbus and then the era after I moved to Columbus. Mm-hmm. When I moved to Columbus, uh, I was all in on the Columbus crew, still am all in on the Columbus crew, try to keep up, try to watch the games as much as I possibly can, even though I'm now four to five hours ahead. And like the crew is really the first club that I ever truly like loved and tried to see religiously and tried to keep up and, and am still trying to do so as well. But the time before that, um, I was obviously, and still, still today, I'm a very big Premier League fan, but time before that, I think is where I really started to establish myself as, as a big fan of watching soccer. Albeit it was, it sounds like ancient history at this time, uh, like Fox soccer channel is just much more difficult to, <laughs> to watch it. So my greatest memories, I think from like a, from a club and from a fan point of view, for some reason I was drawn to Arsenal back in the day. I mean, Terry, uh, I was watching Terry on TV it was kind of before the Emirates. So it was this, this mystique of Highbury and they were a great team and, and whatnot. My little brother somehow got drawn to Chelsea. My older brother seemed to enjoy Arsenal and Man United and whatnot. Just, I think it was more a function of being exposed to kind of certain teams and certain games on Fox soccer channel versus the exposure that we get with, with NBC these days where you can kind of be a fan of whoever you want and have access to all the games. So yeah, I think growing up certainly, Arsenal was the the team that I seemed to be drawn to the most. Um, and Thierry was a, a big part of that, but hands down the, the athlete that I've idolized and still, I think one of the few people that if I met in person, I would just like, I'd be shocked and I wouldn't really know what to say is David Beckham. That dude had had a massive impact on me as a kid growing up. Um, and especially when he chose to come over to MLS and kind of invest in the American game. That is something that like, will always kind of go hand in hand with my, my soccer story growing up. So there are club stories here and there, but nothing super like truly uh, dedicated to with, with in terms of an affinity um, aside from just a massive fan of Bex growing up. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of stuff that went on with the Columbus crew. The show is a couple of listeners that live in the Columbus area and like where I live, I don't have like a, like a hometown team. Cause I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm, four and a half hours from, from San Francisco. And I'm, I'm about three and a half hours from LA. I, you know, I don't, I, I didn't grow up going to the stadium every, every week or anything like that. It was like a, you know, exactly. once a summer or twice a summer kind of thing. But like when you, when you see like a city, uh, in, in an area and then really like the larger kind of MLS, um, just kind of landscape, everybody come together to support that team. Uh, you really see kind of what some of these teams and, and things, uh, uh, mean to people. But, uh, when you talk about, about Beckham coming over, that seems to be a, a a big turning point for the league. And it seems like MLS has, has kind of stopped and started a couple of times in terms of really getting people interested in, in, in getting viewers to, to kind of tune in consistently across the, across the country. And actually I find it a little bit easier to watch the premier league than I do uh, MLS. And that wasn't even the case really when I, when I started watching uh, football to begin with. Yeah, it's a weird one. I think especially being over here, explaining the American fan experience as much as I can, like, it's way easier to watch Premier League matches back home in the U.S. than it is here. Like there are a lot, there are a lot of traditional TV blackouts and whatnot that are that have been in place forever, and I, I think are really good in terms of encouraging people to continue to go to stadiums and support their team, um, whether they're in the Premier League or in the fourth division. So that stuff I think is has really good uh, heart behind it. But there's something special, and I, I think you hear it every time someone from here goes over to the U.S. on holiday or whatever it may be. 
And they're like, wow, like I just sat and watched Premier League. I watched every single match on a Saturday morning and then had the rest of my day and blah, blah, blah. Like it, it, there's still something really magical about um, the opportunity and access that we have right now to the Premier League back home. And I, I think it's I, I hope that the, the media world continues to see uh, all access as the standard instead of continue to try to put things behind specific paywalls and all that kind of stuff, because there's no question that the the access that we have through NBC Sports and through the work that the Premier League's doing across the U.S. Um, and and the clubs especially, there's no question that that is building bridges uh, with fans that we never would have had access to even 10 years ago or 15 years ago. Yeah, yeah, like like you mentioned before, the Fox Soccer Channel seems like a, a very very long time ago, and, and it has been. And we talked a little bit about you. Um, we talked a little bit about kind of your childhood growing up. Maybe I'm missing things in, in there, but like uh, I looked up your your LinkedIn account. Uh, sorry. Um, no, go for it. <laughs> yeah, you didn't have a Wikipedia page that was that I could glean much from, so I had to, had to go the, the the more traditional route, I guess. But like, um, I think you studied biology. You know. Yeah. And then and then now you're working on on media. So I have questions about that because that seems like a slightly weird uh, transition. But like. Um, you also mentioned that you, you went to a D3 school and maybe people that are in the UK won't understand that. That's, that's like a, I mean, division three, right? So it's just a slightly smaller school than, than maybe something like Ohio state or Michigan or actually probably much smaller than that. But like, um, did you, did you play, uh, soccer or football while you were there? Was that, was that part of the reason that you went to the D3 school or like what, what drew you to, to the university or the college that you chose? So I, I went to a school called Arcadia university. It's a small, as you said, it's a small school outside Philly. And to be totally honest, like I was never a good enough soccer player to actually make that much of a difference um, on, on a college team. So I was I was not recruited. I was not planning on really playing college soccer. But for sure, it was a dream of mine to be connected to the soccer world in any way, shape or form as a, as, as a college student. I was still, you know, all through high school, I was a soccer kid. Like that's kind of how I identified myself. Um, that's certainly how my friendship and my, my friend group was kind of composed. So Soccer was not supposed to be a, a really a big driving force in my college experience. Um, I ended up choosing Arcadia because it's frankly where my dad worked. Um, it was more out of convenience and it was a good enough school um, and had some like some really redeeming qualities, like had a really big study abroad program. Um, so I wasn't by any means forced into it. It was it was for, for sure like a OK, like it, it's interesting. And, and frankly, like I would just love to be able to spend more time with my pops he was always kind of away working. Uh, he would travel quite a bit during the week as we were growing up. So I really only got to see him a ton on the weekends and then he'd be out during the, during the middle of the week traveling across the U S. Um, so the opportunity to go somewhere where I actually got to spend time with my dad was the biggest driving force in, in kind of choosing Arcadia. But in the back of my mind, it was thinking like, I might not be able to walk on and make this team, but I can for sure find a way to wiggle myself in as a team manager or something like that. And then so I didn't do anything my freshman year, just kind of like I tried to watch the team, tried to understand more about the program and whatnot. And then there was a coaching change uh, going into sophomore year. And I made it very clear. I met the guy kind of when he was first moving onto campus uh, and kind of getting his feet set and said, hey, man, like I'm I'm not going to be your answer for like a, a new number 10 on this team or anything like that. But if there's anything I can do from a managerial role, from a um, like a team manager, or, um, you know, someone coming off the bench or just a practice guy, like I'm just dying to get back involved with, with soccer, um, in any way, shape or form. And, and luckily he welcomed me and, and more specifically the guys on the team had welcomed me 
and he kind of basically gave me an opportunity. He said, hey, I'd like come through our spring season, um, have kind of a hybrid role between getting involved in practice and, and help, helping out with team manager duties and all that kind of stuff. And then that kind of led to more of a spot on the roster versus having to do some of the administrative stuff. So it was, it was an amazing opportunity. It was something that made up a, a massive part of my years two, three, and four at school. And I, I can't really imagine my college experience without having that, the teammate camaraderie and, and whatnot through, through playing. Um, but by no means was I ever a standout player. And kind of my college experience was not based on being recruited or anything like that. I think it was just about loving soccer so much and knowing that I wanted to be involved uh, and doing whatever it took to make sure that I was providing value to the, to the team so I could continue to stay involved. I mean, just that. I mean, I guess the self-awareness at a, at a college age is not always there. You know, that seems like a, maybe a different approach to kind of becoming involved. And it's almost like, you, you know, you were willing to, to do some of the things that maybe other, other players who maybe, like you said, might, maybe, might even be better than you were just, they were either going to be on the team or they weren't, they weren't willing to, to do kind of those other things. And um, I think that just talk about you being a problem solver and things like that and, and working things out. Like I think that probably lends itself to the type of work that you do now, just willing to, to think about things in a slightly different fashion. Uh, that's, you know, that's much different than, than a lot of people that I grew up with who were really good athletes who never got to play uh, after high school because they, they had their mindset on one thing and that was it. So, so, I mean, let's, let's like look at how you went from biology to media was media always like something you were interested in. I mean, I was going to college and university before like you, you could even really take a video on your cell phone. So like it's, it's maybe a little bit different, but I don't know for you, like were you always interested in, in doing that type of stuff or was that something that came uh, later, maybe after you graduated? Yeah, I think there is, there is, it's weird to look back and say there was actually a light bulb moment. Cause I don't know that I've had very many of those, but, and, and I hope that the listeners at some point in their life, get the opportunity. I'm sure they will all have an opportunity to have a light bulb moment, but there was certainly a light bulb moment for me. And it was the day after I graduated college, I graduated in 2012. So the, the new media world, the digital and social world was not really that big. Like Facebook was the thing. I don't think Instagram was a thing. I didn't have a, uh, a smartphone until after I graduated college. So like my, my college experience is not really predicated on social. Um, I was on Twitter and that kind of stuff, but I didn't really understand the power of it. But there was a, a light bulb moment the day after I graduated where it was like kind of this realization of like, okay, cool. I punched my ticket. I did what I had to do. Uh, I don't have to go to med school anymore. So my, my, my goal in life was to be a cardiologist. I wanted to be a doctor. Uh, I was born with a, like a heart, not malformation or anything like that. Thankfully, it never really affected the way that I grew up or limited my abilities, thankfully. But I had like yearly check-ins with cardiologists and my entire life, those guys were my heroes. It's just like, yeah. wow, you guys are your superheroes in the flesh and the work you get to do is amazing. So growing up, it was always, I want to be a cardiologist. I've got this, this really uh, cool life story as to how it's led. So it, it kind of felt like self-selecting. So biology as a major was what I always planned on doing. Um, and Arcadia had a really good physical therapy school. So a couple of years into my college experience, when I realized like, actually, maybe I'm first off, not smart enough to be a cardi cardiologist. And maybe I just don't have enough gas in the tank to do another like seven years of med school and then residency and all that stuff. I was thinking physical therapy would be really, really cool. So I started to switch my focus to physical therapy throughout school. But again, that light bulb moment the day after I graduated, when I was still kind of waffling about, do I want to go to PT school? Do I want to you know, take a year off, whatever? 
that light bulb moment for me ultimately was I actually don't have to do any of this. Like, what do I like to do now that I have a college degree? Thankfully, I'm, I'm very, very lucky to have that. It was never, you know, a, a, a given or anything like that. But what do I want to do versus what, I, what have I told myself that I have to do and have to spend my life doing? And that moment was a crucible moment for me. It was very just like it was eye opening. And the only thing that I really, really loved doing was soccer. Um, and at this point still, mind you, I've grown up playing my entire life. Uh, I've grown up with an MLS team in my hometown, mm-hmm. uh, for those formative years, went to college, still didn't realize that people worked in soccer. I just had no idea that, <laughs> that there was anything outside of like, if you're not going to be a professional athlete, like I knew that there was, uh, like the kit man. And then like, honestly, if, if I, I still think today, like my, my dream job would, would to be a would be to be a kit man. I, I just think it's like, it's an amazing opportunity to kind of work very closely with the athletes that we all love and adore. Um, you get to be a part of the team. You don't necessarily have the, the pressure of performing because I'd never was good enough of a soccer player to be able to deal with that pressure anyways. And it was kind of this happy medium of like, Hey, you get to work in professional sports, you get to travel, do all these cool things and also get really close to the athletes and get to kind of invest in their lives and, and help solve their problems. That would be really cool. So all this is say, and I think that that kind of was maybe in the back of my mind when I was pursuing that team manager role uh, in college, too. It's just like, I think, you know, no, no one knows really what my my career was going to pan out to be. But I thought, you know, if I don't like med school, maybe I could try to be a kit man or something like that. Um, but still graduated soccer without any idea that team management or um, like ticket sales or, or even like groundskeeping, anything like that. Like there's so many roles within the game that we all love that people, I think, I, at least I didn't have any concept of growing up. So um, my entire goal in life, I think, has now kind of shifted to making it more clear uh, for kids growing up in the States that there are more opportunities out there to, to work in the game that you love, whether it's at a grassroots level or a professional level, uh, even if you, your calling is to not play professionally. Because it's a realization that I probably would have saved a lot of time and effort if I had had earlier, but thankfully I, I didn't. I think having a biology background taught me a lot. Um, and it's kind of paved the way for me to realize that certain things you just have to kind of push through whether you like it or not. And as long as you can punch your ticket, you can open up the doors to, to some other things with, with hard work and whatnot. So that's a very roundabout story. Uh, but eventually I, I guess maybe the, the way to summarize it is I graduated college the next day I realized I didn't have to be a doctor like I had originally planned and was then able to shift my entire focus to working in soccer and problem solving as to how I was going to do that. Me growing up, like my, my goal was always to become a teacher. And in my like mind, it was anything other than that would have been a, a failure, you know, and that's how I would have seen it. And I thought that's how my parents would have seen it. Although now being older, I think they would have been kind of more understanding with whatever I wanted to do. But I think there's like this, this, this kind of tough, um, kind of conversation, at least that I think people have maybe internally, or maybe, maybe they just feel this pressure from their parents. Like, were your parents supportive when you, when, you know, you've gone through, uh, four years of university, you've come out with a biology degree with kind of the stated goal of becoming a cardiologist or becoming uh, a physical therapist or something like that. And then, you know, when you have that conversation with them, like, Hey, I'm actually going to go in this direction. Uh, were they, were, I guess, were they supportive or was there a little bit of a hesitancy on their part? And like, how did you deal with that? And sorry, this isn't in the original show notes, but now I'm, I'm kind of, you know, diving in here. 
No, it's a great question. I think because like ultimately that was that was a point in my life where everything changed, right? That realization of, okay, I don't want to be a doctor anymore. So now what do I do? Thankfully, and I, I don't know that I was going to be cognizant of this at that time anyway. Um, I didn't really know what my parents would say, but they were completely on board and behind it. I think they knew that, of course, I had this dream of being a doctor, but really what my mom would tell me growing up is do your best and have fun. She was more concerned about not necessarily being a doctor or a lawyer or whatever, but finding whatever it is that motivates you and drives you and that you love uh, and chasing after that with, with reckless abandon. My dad, uh, neither of my parents actually went to college fully. Like they didn't do a four year school. So they were happy that all of us kids have now gone through four year colleges. And we're very, very lucky to have gotten degrees, especially based on like my dad being able to work at a school and, and kind of helping out on that financial front. That was massive for us. But uh-huh. career wise, they never pushed us to be certain things. And I think growing up, I, I maybe felt like I didn't want to disappoint them. And being a doctor is something that I knew that they would be proud of just based on what society says. But when I look at like my dad's career, he loves what he does. I'm sure there are bad days and whatnot, but he, he's a facilities manager. He's now kind of the vice president at the school that I went to. Um, he's found a lot of success in that space. And I, I feel really, really lucky to have learned from him that it's not always going to be about being a doctor or, or a lawyer or whatever society says. If you find what it is that you're good at and what you love, uh, then that is the most important thing because you'll get way more out of a career and the, and the world will get way more out of you if you're doing something that you're passionate about. So yeah. thankfully, my parents were totally on board with kind of that change of heart. Um, and I think they, uh, they would have been on board at any point in time, whether I had that change of heart two years into school or five years afterwards. I'm really, really lucky to have their support in that space. It's one of those things that like, I, I struggle with because I'm, I'm a teacher and I want kids to go do you know, be successful. That's what I want for my students. That's why I'm there. Cause I, I teach at the school that I went to, you know, I grew up in the town that I, you know, that I live in now. And so like, I'm a part of that, but like those kids come through and, and, you know, generally they are being pushed by whether it's the counselors or their parents or whatever, just to go to college and have some kind of nine to five job. And that's kind of still what they are kind of, that's their, that's what they see as successful. So it's always kind of weird to kind of go like, actually, you know, you can do whatever it is you want. You're just, you're going to have to work really hard and there will be setbacks and you know, you'll get your dream job at some point maybe. And even then you will have bad days. It will feel like work sometimes, but you overall, like you said, will be much happier and, and the people around you will benefit much more if you were doing something that you are truly passionate about rather than, you know, we always have, there are always teachers who have been checked out for 10 years and they're, they're still around and it's, it's clear that the passion's gone and, and nobody benefits from that. So yeah, I think that's a, that's a really kind of powerful message that like, even I, as a, a 33 year old kind of, I look at my kids and go like, what am I, what am I encouraging them to do? Am I, am I doing this the right way? Um, or am I somehow limiting their, their, their choices, their, their passion for something, which is part of the reason that we, we started watching football in the first place was because my son's like, I don't like baseball anymore. I want to play, I want to play soccer. Um, and I'm like, let's just, let's go. And now he's, uh, he's moved on. He's playing volleyball now. So anyway, if he could have some of your height, that would be great. Cause my wife and I are, uh, my wife's five, four and five, seven. Um, he's, he's not blessed with, uh, with that. So he better learn how to serve or something. Um, he's going to be great. I can already <laughs> he, it's a lot of fun to watch him. Um, it's also really, really weird to watch him try to block a ball. It's like, what are you doing in the front row? But anyway, um, <laughs> <It's all right. laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, let's, let's take a kind of a walk and I, I'm, I may be missing a couple of steps here, but, um, you went from college and then you said you kind of transitioned at some point into kick. 
uh, where you were an intern, like how, how did that happen? So that I think is still the thing, like that is the, out of all of this, that's the magic in this. And, and I still don't really, I still don't really understand like step by step how it really happened. So here's, here's I'll, I'll put it this way. Here's what happened. And then we can talk about maybe the mystery that surrounds it. So I graduated college, knew that I loved soccer, knew that I didn't want to be a doctor anymore and knew that I wanted to somehow find my way into, uh, into soccer. And what I was learning at this point was that I really, really enjoyed social, um, social media specifically because it allowed me to connect with my friends back home that I was not at college with. So I would say probably 80% of my high school class all went to Ohio state because we were in a suburb of Columbus and I did not. So I was far away from home. All my friends were together having a great time. Uh, and I was not taking part in that experience, but thanks to Facebook and Twitter, I was still able to kind of stay connected and, and keep in touch with those guys. So I knew pretty early on, this was probably 2012, um, pretty early on that social was a big deal for me. So I'm sure it was a big deal for other people. Uh, and around the same time that I was graduating college, uh, kick TV was becoming a, a big thing They had just launched maybe a couple months before I graduated. And I would say, I think I just got like maybe hyper targeted by an ad. Um, but I was, I was pretty early on in terms of like a fan for kick. Uh, I was, I was there as a fan pretty early doors. So I graduated college in 2012. I worked for a full year and then about probably January of 2013. So this is now what, nine months after, after graduating college kick was becoming a little bit bigger. Uh, and then on Twitter, I'd seen that they had, they were sending off their intern. They were, uh, they tweeted out kind of like, you know, Hey, thanks to our old intern. Uh, we're, they were at the bar. So it was a photo of them kind of clinging drinks, best of luck in the future. And, and we hope to, you know, follow along with what you get up to. So I tweeted back to them. I was sitting on my couch, uh, at the same house that I was living in when I was at college, sitting on my couch and said, Hey, let me know if you guys need someone to pick up from where she left off. And a couple, I don't know if it was a couple minutes or maybe half an hour later, they said, send us your best vine as to why we should pick you. And this Vine being the six, six second clip uh, app that is no longer, but maybe coming back, who knows? Um, but I, uh, so I was sitting there on my couch. I just had a, my family uh, basically around Christmas had just gotten a golden retriever puppy. So I was sitting there with Bear uh, and I was, I was watching a game. It was some like CONCACAF U20 something. It was somehow on TV or stream or something like that. So I make this Vine and I'll send you the links. It's still out there. Make this Vine for them and say, Hey guys, my name is Chris. I can write. Uh, I love kick TV and this is my puppy bear. And so the last, you know, two seconds was me kind of turning the camera, uh, to show this golden retriever puppy. And that was it. But I didn't hear anything about it. Like, cool. Like let's, uh, keep in touch or anything like that. I was like, all right, well, at least I shot my shot. Like they, they're going with someone else. Kick TV, you know, is based in New York. I don't live in New York. So feasibly it's pretty hard for me to get up there, even though I'm in Philly, blah, blah, blah. I just convinced myself like, I wasn't too invested in it. I didn't actually think it was going to happen in the first place. Uh, and I was just glad that they frankly had reached back out to show that they were humans on the other side. <laughs> so a couple, uh, a couple weeks later, maybe it might've been like two months later, I got a random email from this guy named Will McDonough, who's still, he's now the head of brand for, for kick or Copa 90 us as it's now known. But I got an email, uh, from Will and I'm sure I still have it in my inbox that said, Hey, if you're the vine guy, no, the, the subject was, are you the vine guy? Question mark. Uh, and then the, the, um, kind of the, the body of the message was, if so, we should chat, you know, let me know. And 
So I, I emailed back like immediately, like, holy shit, like maybe this is like a big break that everyone's been talking about in careers. So I messaged back like immediately. Yes, like that's me. Uh, would love to chat. Like, let me know the time, place, whatever. So that turned into a phone call, which later turned into an in-person meeting at, at the kick office, which is actually part of um, still kind of part of MLS. But at the time we were we were based in MLS headquarters in New York. Okay. So it was me going out for an in-person interview in MLS HQ, which is like, I couldn't believe I was there in the first place. It was a dream come true. And they said, yeah, I mean, like, can you start in May? So it, it all kind of came out of nowhere. But what I still don't know is how Will got my email address from Vine or Twitter. I don't think it was on Twitter. Maybe it was. Uh, but I, I still remember being like very mystified as to how he got my email address. So I don't think it would have been associated with my Twitter account because that's the easy answer. Um, yeah. But there's still like when I look back on it, there's still not really. And I've talked to Will about this many times. We still don't really know where he got the email address from. But thankfully, is an email address that was correct and got yeah. to where it needed to get to. I mean, did he send a lot of those emails? Like, are you the Vine guy? Like, if so, we should talk. Like, how many people just didn't respond or like, nope, it's not me. Like, you know, did, did you even got that information out of him? No, that's a good question. I should ask him. I know that like, so since after I finished my internship at Kick, I was lucky enough to stay on full-time at MLS, but it was also like the next phase was finding the intern that would take my place and all that stuff. And that, that ended up being a more traditional search, talking to people at NYU and whatnot. But I think ultimately, and maybe this is like my, the life lesson that I've subscribed to is like me sending that vine is what set me apart. If I sent my resume, it wouldn't have been good enough. There was no soccer outside of like college soccer, but it wasn't really, there was no social, there was no, there's nothing there that would make me stand out from any other person. What it was ultimately was an effort that said, Hey, I'm willing to do something creative and different to catch your eye. Uh, and I think in today's world, it's never been easier to send those messages or contact someone on Instagram or send a DM or whatever. And there are a lot of these kind of instances in my life where I've gotten to a point uh, maybe further along in my career based off of the technology that has allowed that to happen today. So maybe the life story there is like use the tools at your disposal. If you're if you're someone coming up trying to work in soccer or trying to work in uh, I don't know, you want to be a librarian, whatever it may be, like whatever, whatever your chosen goal is, figure out the creative solution that other people are not doing. Just assume that everyone else is going to send their resume. So what are you doing on top of that to uh, extend a personal relationship or extend a kind of a, a unique fact about yourself or make yourself stand out? Because there's no way in hell I'd be where I am today, specifically working in soccer, if it weren't for that vine uh, five years ago. I mean, how nervous were you when you sent that vine in? Like, were, was there, were there, was there doubt in your head? Like this, this definitely isn't good enough or they're not even going to look at this or, you know, people, you know, now whenever I put out an episode, like there is this little thing in the back of my head, whenever I put out an Instagram image, there's always something on my, in the back of my head that goes like, somebody is going to like make fun of me, hate on this, you know, whatever. Was there any yeah. of that doubt in your, in your head at that point? Strangely, I don't think I had that much like I, I suffer from the same thing. I, I don't know if we call it social media anxiety or whatever it is, but there's there's certainly a lot of second guessing in today's world. And I don't think I had any of that back then. I think it was more of just like, I don't think this is going to turn into anything. So there's there, it's it's a win win. Basically, there is no lose situation. Like the lose situation is that they don't get back and they don't care about it. And like I'm still in the same spot that I am now. So it was only a win in my eyes. Of course, I could have represented myself poorly in that. And there was, you know, 
I had to make sure that I was doing my best to show my abilities and stuff. But mm-hmm. you look back at that vine and be like, it's it's super cringy, but I'm also super proud of it because <laughs> I didn't make it more than it had to be either. It was just like, be genuine and authentic um, and share a part of your life that people don't see or, or might care about or whatever, but ultimately do what it takes to put yourself out there. Um, because you never know who's going to mop that up. Yeah. They could have very well looked at it and be like, well, this is the worst vine I've ever seen. In which case I probably wouldn't have been a good fit there anyways. And so it would have been a blessing that they chose to go to a different direction. Yeah. But thankfully it just kind of happened. I knew ultimately what the tone and voice of kick TV was. I was, I had been a big fan to that point. So it wasn't a blind shot on my end. Um, but I, I kind of knew what I was getting into and sure, maybe my hopes were high, but at the same time I had no expectations. Um, so I wasn't really going to be heartbroken if they didn't get back. It was just, I left space for myself to be amazed when the email did come through. Yeah. And I think that's an important thing is the fact that you were a fan and you kind of understood like the tone that they were trying to set and going for. And you realize like that had some sort of connection and match kind of with you, you know? And so that when, because you were obviously a fan, so that, that you're kind of drawn to that. And so that when you fire off that vine, it's, it's, there's a fit there and maybe it's uh, somewhat natural, but also there's a, there's a little bit of a conscious decision probably to, to make sure that you're, you're, you're fitting with that. And I think that's an important thing that some people sometimes miss is that they want to write, they want to do this, they want to do that. Um, so they're just firing off, you know, things to people all over the place, but they're not taking time to kind of understand the culture of the place that they're, they're kind of going with. And just as like, you know, I, I've said this before, but like, I'm not a super creative kind of person. Um, I had a very pretty linear, like I, I became a teacher as fast as possible. And now kind of looking back at that stuff, it's, it's listening to people who are, uh, entrepreneurs and kind of, uh, filmmakers and things like that. Like that's one of the things that they, they really look for is they, they look for the things that they, they, they drive with and they fit with and that the tone is right. And that, cause if it's the right job, like we said this before, it, it, it's the, if it's the right kind of fit, um, everybody benefits from that. But you, you went from kick TV to MLS and you worked, um, on a number of projects there. What was that like? I don't know, graduating, I guess, from intern to, to full-time employee of, of, you know, the, the biggest uh, soccer football organization in the United States. It's still, I think it's still probably, and may always be the proudest moment of my career. I think it was, that was kind of the, I hate to say that like I completed it at that point, but like that was the holy crap, like I can, I can do this. Holy crap. There is opportunity to work in this space when, you know, just nine months ago, I didn't think that anyone else was able to work in soccer. Holy crap. There is a way for me to pursue my dream. Uh, and I just never knew it existed. Thankfully, I'm, I'm able to try to pursue this now. Um, I think it was, it was, it was the most redeeming, uh, feeling I've ever had. Um, but also was like, okay, someone, a lot of people went to bat for me. Uh, and now I've really got to go to work and make sure that they are not disappointed and, and prove that I belong, uh, in this space. I, I still, even today, like, I look at my ability to work in soccer as ultimately a privilege more than anything. There are a lot of people who are a lot smarter than I am that are probably a lot better at my job than I am and would kill to work in soccer. And for whatever reason, they just haven't had the same path as I have. And I hope that somehow I'm able to help, whether it's now or 20 years from now, help develop more opportunity for those people. But I think ultimately it was just, that was the greatest feeling in the world. There's a lot that kind of went into it. First off, I never would have been able to move to New York if my girlfriend 
wasn't already living in New York. She went from the school that we met at, at, at Arcadia. She then uh, did two more years at Columbia University. So she was already living up there. There's no way I would have been able to sustain myself in New York on an intern salary if she wasn't already up there and let me basically crash into her apartment. She didn't ask her roommates and like it wasn't it wasn't it totally was not like super cool. Um, but <laughs> it was also like a story in doing whatever you had to do to pursue this dream. And then at the same time, when my internship was finishing up at, at Kick, there was no direct full time opportunity there. I made it very clear that like, guys, my dream is to work in M. But like, I, I want to stay. In, I want to work in sport. And so I had a couple other interviews and opportunities. Um, and then ultimately, that kind of opened the, the chance for some of my mentors and my bosses at Kick to go up the ladder and say, "Look, Chris has an opportunity elsewhere. He's leaving next week. If we aren't able to somehow create an create a position for him, and I, I still like feel so thankful for this, but like a couple people kind of went into offices." higher up the food chain and said, Hey, we really need this guy to stay around. Uh, and I owe kind of everything to them. So Nelson Castro, Will McDonough, uh, are two guys that, and Jimmy Conrad was the face of kick at the time. Those three guys kind of came together and said, look, Chris really should be a part of what we're building. And thankfully it's, it kind of worked. So yeah, it was, it was crazy. They created an opportunity for me to stay on full time at MLS as part of the MLS plus team, which, uh, was kind of like in, in hindsight, I don't think it still exists un, under that name, but we were creating uh, video pieces that were designed to reach beyond the core audience. So I think my my metric for success still to this day is like, am I creating a piece of video that my mom's going to find on Yahoo and send to me because she thinks it's a cute soccer video that she didn't realize that I actually made? And so that was very much <laughs> the, the goal of MLS Plus is like, how do we make stuff about MLS and our athletes and our players that reach beyond the core audience? And so stuff like uh, Mike McGee's Day Off, MLS Insider was a like kind of in-depth storytelling show that was on NBC Sports at the time. Mm-hmm. And then a couple other one-off projects that were more geared towards kind of telling culture stories instead of just, you know, this team won 2-0, will they win 3-0 this time? Right. Yeah, they train a lot. You know, they run, soccer players run a lot. Like, you know, they run 10K every, every 90 minutes. It's like, yeah, okay, yeah. like, cool. Um, I get it. I enjoy that because I'm like, well, that's, you know, but not everybody does. And so I, I just think like that's something growing up as a, as a baseball fan that just, I didn't even realize that existed. Like the fact that there were people that were doing that job somewhere else, like trying to draw more people in, not like in a, in a cringe kind of sort of way. Like it's like you, you want to make this relevant. You want to make this um, and show that there is a human side because ultimately I think that's what people want they want to know kind of the human side of, of of the story and and you see like there there's there's we have a lot more in common with with maybe a professional footballer than we really realize even though you know uh, a lot, there are a lot of things on the surface that are that are much much different but um you know that, i think that's maybe one way that social media has really maybe maybe closed that gap a little bit you know danny ings goes home and the first thing he does is play with his dogs like how many people in the world do that and you know danny ings is just like us and now you know we're all in love with him and and, uh, and all that, even though we were going to be in love with him as Southampton fans anyway, because you know, he's a local guy and all that stuff. But, um, like, I'll be really honest that I'm never, ever leaving my job. Like the, the chances of me walking away from the career that I have right now to do anything else or even do this job somewhere else is I would say zero, you know, maybe maybe there's a 5% chance just because I don't think I can, I, I'm not a risk taker. You, you at some point left MLS, like, what was that? 
you thought you kind of made it, I guess, like, you know, you, you had, you would achieved kind of what you thought was maybe the ceiling. And then at some point you realize like I can go elsewhere and do more stuff. Like what, what was that decision like when you chose to leave um, MLS or, and, and pursue a, a career elsewhere? Yeah, it was, it was actually really interesting. So what happened was, uh, Copa 90 bought kick TV or acquired kick TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, so kick TV was becoming Copa 90 us. I think ultimately, like when we were at kick, we saw Copa 90 as the, the competitor very much. So like, it was, it was head to head. We were bigger than them. We, especially we had this underdog, uh, attitude for sure, because we were American and because, you know, the, the prevailing, uh, opinion is that Americans don't know anything about soccer and all that kind of stuff, but we were led by Jimmy, uh, and Jimmy played in the world cup and all that kind of stuff. So we, we were doing our best to kind of push back on that notion that Americans were naive and didn't know anything about the game. So Copa, Copa comes in uh, and choirs kick and things didn't really change at that point. I was still very much full-time at MLS focusing on other projects, even though I was still sitting with the kick guys, like in the same physical space, I was just focused on other stuff. But what it ultimately offered, the opportunity that arose was uh, a different company called Whistle Sports um, came in and said, hey, we are really interested in building something just like Kick was building. Do any of you guys want to come kind of build it from scratch again? Um, and so there are four of us that decided, you know, yeah, let's give that a shot. I think it's at this point, too, some of us were working on the MLS stuff instead of Kick stuff specifically. Uh-huh. And Kick always just had a much more youthful tone. Uh, MLS, I absolutely loved, and I would be lucky to get to work there again, like for sure. It's a labor of love, and I felt super fortunate. But at the same time, in the back of my mind was, you know, it'd be fun to try to start the magical days of early Kick TV again um, and kind of get to re-spin it and and refocus on the U.S. audience and whatnot. So we all, uh, the four of us went to Whistle as a a team. We started something called the FC, which is basically our, our version of Kick. And what we quickly found is that the industry was very different. Kick and Copa kind of came out of a place where there was a void for this independent soccer voice uh, and kind of indifferent, this, this confident voice that didn't have to be reporting on team news and all that stuff. It was more focused on fan experience and FIFA content and, and just like more fun stuff instead of the, the day in, day out doldrums of news headlines and stuff that we get with the rest of the world's kind of coverage on, on soccer. So what we found is that the FC was a lot harder to, to get caught up to speed on just because the industry had changed. There were more like individual YouTubers and personality is a really big thing instead of just being a refreshing take on soccer news. And so long story short, the FC ended up getting kind of pushed to the side as a result, but it gave me the chance to do was kind of take ownership over the relationships whistle had with a lot of the big soccer YouTubers across the world. And I was in New York at this time, but that was kind of what laid the foundation for my move out to the UK, um, was having these relationships with YouTubers like the F2 and Spencer FC and Cal Freezy, um, and, a, and a handful of other people that I don't mean to not list right now, but the list would go on. Right. Um, but ultimately it, it meant that I get to kind of work in a talent management role, which was something really exciting. But the biggest thing for me was trying to find new ways to help drive opportunity for these guys they're all starting small businesses um whether we want to look at youtubers like that or not these guys are all really really smart businessmen mm-hmm. um and we're creating opportunity for themselves just like the rest of us would want to create opportunity you know as a musician or anything like that um they were just also building an in- industry at the same time so 
that is kind of getting more caught up to speed as to where I am today. Um, but the opportunity to move on from MLS, thankfully, was not me on my own, which I think I would have been, I would have said no if it wasn't without the group that I was able to come over with. I guess that decision to, to move to London, I don't know, you have a girlfriend, she um, is now over there with you and I believe is your fiance. Um, yes. Um, and congratulations, by the way. Um, Thank you. And that's, there's a series of tough decisions in there. Uh, you know, you, you know, you, you made that move to whistle, whistle at some point, you, you have the opportunity to move to London, which is uh, a new country. Um, uh, you lived in kind of around big cities before and you lived in New York. So I guess that, that, that helps, but like, you know, what was that like when you landed in London and went like, like crap, this is where I live now. Like what, what was that kind of feeling like? Honestly, it was the greatest feeling ever because as a kid, and I think hopefully a lot of the, a lot of your listeners can maybe subscribe to this, but like, there's always some sort of fascination. If you grow up loving the beautiful game in America, there's some sort of fascination with living abroad uh, or having the chance to, you know, watch it every single day as you've been watching it on TV. Uh, and the Premier League, as we all know, is unrivaled in terms of competition and just like top to bottom, it's a fun league to watch. And I think for me, when I first, you know, my visa came through and then flying over, it was never any, I was never scared of it. I was for sure, like, not sure if it was going to work out. Um, you never know, like, how the reception is going to be of an American moving over or anything like that. But ultimately, it was a dream come true, whether I completely failed or not. It was just like, holy crap, I get to move to London and fulfill this dream of mine. So landing, for sure, there was, uh, there were times where it's just like, what am I doing? Like, I'm far from New York. I, I still love New York. The opportunity that it uh, gives someone who lives in that city, like, New York is unparalleled maybe aside from like Tokyo uh I, I can't claim to have been to every city on earth though so I won't I won't go that far but <laughs> just like I would I would say London does not really hold a candle to New York and the, and the city point of view from my from my experience or from my opinion but it's obviously kind of mecca in terms of soccer fans uh and and this fan culture so it was there's was never any hesitancy but it was for sure an interesting time because my girlfriend we both lived together in New York uh, and then she had an opportunity to move to San Francisco uh, with her work. And it was a good enough opportunity that there's no chance I was going to say, no, like, what do you mean? We're, you know, we're living together in New York. That's going to make things more difficult. There was never any of that. It was like, that's amazing. Like, do it and we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. So she moved to San Francisco. And that was a couple weeks before my London opportunity really started to materialize. So similarly, she knew me moving to London would hopefully be the next major step in my career of wanting to work in soccer. And she could not have been more supportive about it. It meant that there were now eight hours between us instead of five and some more logistical issues, obviously there, but we weren't living together in New York at the time. So it was never a, like, I'm going to go chase this dream and I'll, I hope to see you on the other side. We knew that we'd figure it out. We just didn't know how, when or where, but I don't think at any point we kind of doubted the ability to, to make it work. Uh, especially when we both had kind of dreams come dream come true opportunities on either side. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think it's important for people to realize that like sometimes, you know, you, you and your fiance have been together for a, a long time, but like the, the path to kind of getting to where you are now isn't necessarily uh, a linear one or a straightforward one. There are, you know, it doesn't have to be kind of lockstep and, and kind of maybe how our parents did or how my parents did it. You know, it's a, uh, in career and, and all of these other things I think are, 
are important and they take you different places. And I think, like you said, like you guys had the commitment to, you know, make it work that that's what it takes. And I'm sure, you know, going from living in the same city to living uh, one country away to living now overseas, like that's, that's a, that's a some serious strain on a, on a relationship and uh, especially landing in new places, both developing, you know, careers and things like that. Like uh, I have to give you guys some credit for that because that's uh super impressive. Yeah. I think we, honestly, it's, it sounds really harsh, but it was the greatest thing we ever could have done. Uh, move that far away from each other because it retaught us what we really appreciate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also retaught us like that when we were in New York, we just, we ultimately became lazy. We would just go home, watch TV, just kind of hang out at, and, or do our own thing. And we, we kind of took for granted some of the friendships that we had and we never really cross pollinated our friend groups. So when she moved to San Francisco, she obviously did her best to put down her roots and find new friendships out there and did an amazing job, has some really, I think, lifelong friends from her time in San Francisco. And then likewise, I made a really concerted effort to try to meet new people in London, not really knowing that she was going to move out here. That was never really part of the plan. But when we did kind of move back together, we knew that the very top of that list was we need to make sure that we're still saving space for uh, for us to do the things that we love, uh, but also to make sure that we're investing into each other's friend groups because it's what we ultimately kind of missed out on in New York. And looking back, it's the one thing that we really would have wished we did better in New York. So us moving apart gave us the space to kind of focus on those relationships uh, and then ultimately figure out what it is that's important between us um, that later on in life, we knew that we needed to make sure that we were focusing on. Yeah, man, that's, I can't even imagine what that does to a relationship, but also, you know, the, now it sounds like, you know, you're being much more intentional about how the relationship works and and what it means to you. And I think that's something that is super important. And like, I I, I follow you on Instagram, obviously. And and I, and I watch your Instagram story and like, you know, she's along with you at at some of these other things. Like, you know, you guys were at the the Webley cup, uh, I think last weekend and, and doing these other things. And, you also do things that like she's into and like, it's, it's kind of weird to see that, um, happen because you guys are making kind of your life work. And, um, yeah, I just think, I think it's, I think it's great. So anyway, um, you mentioned that you have kind of been involved with, uh, a number of other people and, and, uh, YouTube, uh, footballers and things like that. And like the list is, is pretty long, but like, if I had to ask you to like kind of pick out maybe one or two of the projects that, you have been involved with that kind of you're like, you know, I'm sure you're proud of a lot of them, but like that you are super proud of that, like stick out in your mind as being something that kind of represents the the work that you do. And then ultimately you would, the impact you would like to have, like, do you have kind of one or two of those things that, that kind of stand out to you? It's a great question. Um, yes. So I think the biggest project that I've had the, the pleasure of working on so far was one that we just released ahead of the world cup. Uh, it was with the F2 who are, the largest YouTubers in the, in the football space. So bigger than Real Madrid, bigger than FIFA, bigger than Barcelona. Um, the F2 are, are, are two guys that have, you know, a massive social following, mm-hmm. but we uh, have, be, they've become very, very good friends of mine uh, through the work that I get to do. Um, but we, starting probably this time last year, we were on the road for uh, probably four months straight filming an eight episode series for YouTube. Uh, it was called YouTube Red at the time. It's now YouTube Premium. But it's basically like making Netflix show, but for YouTube with YouTubers. So we went to eight different countries telling soccer stories uh, and exploring um, kind of soccer culture around the world. So we went to Japan and Thailand, Mexico, France, the U.S. I'm trying to think of what else I'm missing. Iceland. I don't even know. That's probably seven. 
Uh, and then Argentina. Yeah. I think that's all eight. And that was an experience that I will never forget. Like that, that allowed me the opportunity to travel around the world um, and kind of tell stories. And I got to help script a lot of it. But ultimately, it was just getting to see the impact that these guys have around the world. Like they're recognized not globally. And it's not just the F2. Like, sure, they are right now. They're the biggest. Eventually, someone else will be bigger. That's the, that's the glory and the, the beauty of YouTube. But guys who are not the biggest on YouTube are massive celebrities in and of its in and of themselves, or have a have an amazing way of connecting with people and, and having audiences relate with them. So I think ultimately that was kind of a microcosm, or maybe a macrocosm, for lack of a better term. It was a really big project that I kind of opened my eyes. But ultimately, the the everyday blessing is seeing these guys kind of create opportunity out of nowhere create their own media companies, create their own followings, uh, and then relate with people and hopefully make lives of their fans better or more entertaining um, on a day-to-day basis. So that is the most fulfilling work I could do right now, is try to be a part of those things that mean a lot to their fans. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I'll be honest that I'm probably not like the target demographic for a lot of the the YouTube stuff. I think I'm slightly too old, but like I... I watch those guys. Like I, I watch the videos because I find them not just, you know, to be good at, at, at football, but I think the stories that they tell are kind of inspiring and, and I kind of have, I'm at a place where I don't watch a lot of like standard kind of TV. Like YouTube is kind of what my kids watch and it's what I watch. And, um, I, if I have to watch one more like shot of the Jaegers with my daughter, like I might actually hurt someone, but like, um, it's, it's been, it, the, the stories that are out there that, that, the F2 guys and some of the other people have been able to tell is they're inspiring. And like, I wonder like as you're going through that, like as this project is kind of being built and you know, like is there doubt in your mind? Like, can this work or or are you worried about failure at that point? Or is it, was it just something that you guys all felt it was like, this is important. We can, we, we need to do this. We have to do this. Like what, how does that work? I think, especially this is honestly, this is something that I struggle with a lot with the Premier League in USA stuff is the hardest part is knowing that you'll never be able to tell the entire story. So there's always a talking point, especially with the PL in USA stuff where we try to keep it consumable. Like if, if I see an Instagram story that's longer than 15 segments, I'm probably not watching it. It's just the reality of like media consumption and, and my pers- my, you know, preferences. I want it to be shorter and snackable, but based on that, it means you can't tell everything about the, the Southampton fan experience. So you can't tell everyone why, uh, the Everton Liverpool Derby is a big deal or where it started or how, how it got to where it is today. But likewise, when you're going to Japan to talk about Japanese football culture, you know that you're only going to be able to scratch the surface. And there's definitely a frustration in, even if it's a massive success, knowing that there are notes and really important personal stories out there that we're essentially ignoring or not even knowing about. Um, and I think for me, ultimately, that's the most exciting part, knowing that you can only scratch the surface on a story whenever you're trying to make the effort to tell it. So I think when I look at the next couple of months with the Premier League, like we're, we've done a lot of the, the 20 clubs so far. So probably by the time March comes around, we've been to every single club. So does that mean we're going to stop doing stories? Hopefully not. I think it means that we get to go back to some of these places and tell different stories or tell maybe an away fan story. And I think ultimately it can be frustrating if you want to look at it that way, that like, no, nothing will ever be good enough. But at the same time, it means you can go to Southampton a million times and still find new things. Yeah. Uh, and that is kind of what keeps us going, I think. 
So, I mean, t- talking about the PL and USA stuff, I think that's a good um, transition. And that's, um, it, and like, I think people, even if they are not Southampton fans or even, even if they're not living in the United States, I think they're, uh, that account is followed by enough people that people will have kind of been a little bit familiar with that at least. And like, I just wonder, like, I think on one hand we look at it and go like, Oh, that this guy gets to do all of this stuff. This is so lucky and whatever. And having just like been to England one time and tried to get on a train and use the tube and like not get, uh, you know, delayed and, uh, transferred to a bus or for bus replacement or whatever. Like, it's not all fun and games. It's not all just, just easy stuff. But like when, when the opportunity came around for you to, to do this in your head, did it make sense? Like, yeah, this is how we can do this. And this is how we can follow through with this. Or was it like a kind of one of those moments where you weren't quite sure how it was going to get done, but you were willing to try it or whatever. Yeah. I mean, like first off I was honored and like a bit shocked that they wanted me to be a part of it regardless. Um, I don't know. I just, I never really thought that, I would be a good host or good on camera talent or anything like that. So ultimately like I, I was shocked to begin with, but yeah, I think like I knew in the back of my mind and we knew in the back of our minds what we wanted to try to do, um, which is kind of peel back the curtain on the, on the more experiential stuff. So who is, and I, to this point, like we still have not, I still have not done a really good job of the initial remit is like, who's the, uh, the interesting pie lady outside Anfield, who's been there for 70 years and blah, 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 or go find and kind of talk to the, um, the fan of Southampton who flies from, I think, Norway every single game. Mm-hmm. Those interesting fan stories, I think, are still, that's the hardest part. And ultimately, that is what I have not done a good enough job on. But the remit of like getting to go kind of explore that culture around each one of these clubs and the stadiums and the towns is amazing. And it's, it's like, it's kind of an addiction. It's, it's super fun to get to think creatively about the stories that we want to try to tell, uh, knowing that there's no end to it. Ultimately, like for me to, I think the, the metric for success is like, how do you, so Fulham and Chelsea are separated by, I don't know, like four miles, three miles, something like that, maybe even less yet are two very different clubs. Mm -hmm. How does that happen? How is it? Is there any reflection on, you know, the, the neighborhoods that they're in. Well, they're both kind of in the same neighborhood. One is, you know, a massive stadium. One is one of the smallest stadiums owned by an American, owned by a Russian, blah, blah, blah. How did it get to this point? Was it always like this? Well, Chelsea kind of had a, you know, less than savory time period in the eighties and that kind of <laughs> stuff. Like there's so much to it that like you can't hope to bottle it up. And I think the, the fun part for me too, is trying to figure out what people over here don't know that we don't know back home or what we do know back home that people don't, don't really understand. So for instance, I went to Manchester for the Manchester Derby. It was at city. Um, and I asked a fan in a pub, uh, what the difference between a Manchester United fan and a Manchester city fan was like, what surely there's some sort of cultural difference or whatever it may be. And his answer, he was a guy that he's a city fan for life. He grew up in Manchester. His answer was, well, it's just based on where you grew up. If you're from west of Manchester, like Salford, then you're a United fan. If you're from, you know, east of Manchester, which is where City is, then you're a City fan. And for me, it was so cut and dry. Uh-huh. Like that is that's the Manchester experience. Basically, like I, that's his Manchester experience. Like, what do you mean? Like, it, it's not a decision. It's always been this way. It's where I was born. It's like my family. 
I think we know, we obviously know that back home, but what I love about the fan stories coming out of the U.S. is that they're so unique. It's like, how did how did you become a Southampton fan? It's probably not because you were born in Southampton and you know that was the easy thing to do. Right. It was some decision that you made early on. You identified with the club more so than Brighton or more so than anyone else up and down the coast or up up and down the country. And it's those stories that I find most interesting. But over here, it's not really we don't get as many of those stories. It's just more like practicality, which yeah. I think is kind of refreshing in a way, but ultimately makes it more challenging to get some of those fan story experiences out of people, especially in pubs when they're not really thinking about telling a great story. You know, as you're doing the show, um, I can only imagine that doing a lot of the things that you do, you spend a lot of time working in like uh, Premiere Pro and After Effects and all that stuff. But like how much prep goes into, you know, how much prep are you doing for, for that three or four minutes that we see before you ever get on a train or before you ever do this, I like, like just give, give us a rough idea of how many kind of, uh, how much preparation goes into each episode. Yeah. So when we first started, it was literally, uh, Hey, this is the, the game we've got you a ticket to. There wasn't really much direction outside of like, uh, you know, these are the kind of stories that we want to be telling. Can you, can you find the interesting pie lady who's been outside Anfield or whatever it may be? We're starting to, to put more effort into the scripting just so we know that we're not missing opportunities. I can't think of specific examples, but I'm sure if I went back uh, and looked at the earlier ones we did, it's like, man, there was so much more that I just kind of glossed over or didn't really iterate correctly or didn't connect back to the tune in or anything like that. So now we're we're trying to do um, I'm, I try to put together a script every week that goes over to the team on Wednesday. So knowing that we're going to go to a game on Saturday or Sunday, the script goes over on Wednesday and it's literally just 15 talking points, I think. We've kind of identified, at least right now, we're, we're still very much testing things top to bottom, but we've kind of identified, you know, 15 slides, I think, is a good enough length that if people are watching long, but it's too short, and it gives you the space to kind of tell stories within. Mm-hmm. Um, but anything over 20, I think, is not from my point of view, but from, from the, the viewer point of view, it's just too much. It's like, I'm not going to spend my time watching this. Um, so we try to keep it to 15 talking points, but two of those are... You know, I'm going into the stadium, swipe up to watch the game, and then here's the match graphic and kind of what to expect later on and, and tune in stuff. Uh-huh. Um, so it's really down to 13. And then one of them is an intro, and three of them are kind of the outro after the game and thoughts and predictions, like wrap up and that kind of stuff. So it ends up being closer to, I don't know, if I had to guess, maybe eight, eight Instagram story slides um, to tell something, in, to tell people something interesting that they don't hopefully already know about this place. Um, and it's not really a ton of space, especially if you're doing it in chunks that are small enough for people to not want to move on and tune out. Yeah. Um, so it ends up being very much like, okay, I know we're going to end up talking about the, the teams that are lining up and the players and who I think is going to win or who, who the fans think are going to win. But the real juice of the story is like what makes Newcastle Newcastle. And how does this town fuel this club or, or vice versa? Yeah. Or for this weekend, what is it that's, how did the Merseyside Derby come to be? How do people choose to be red or blue? That kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think, I don't think realistically, I don't think I'll ever get to a perfect story, but there, there is a little bit more intentional effort these days to script out the idea ahead of time. Um, and then in terms of like after effects stuff, I haven't really done a ton of, pre-prepping of graphics and whatnot. Maybe there have been a couple where I spent some time in the week leading up, 
But more often than not, it's like, do I have a four hour train ride? Okay, well, I'm gonna have some time to do some editing. And I, I try to shoot stuff like on my way to the train. So I can uh, try to make an intro slide that's eye catching or tell people that this is going to be different from just an average Instagram story segment. Yeah. Um, sure. But if it's a shorter segment, or if it's a shorter trip, then I don't really have a ton of time to do the like the fun, quirky edit stuff to hopefully catches people's eyes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I can tell you that I think you're, you're doing a great job. Like it's uh, I, I watch, I want to say 99% of them. And I also am one of these people that like, if I see somebody's story has just a thousand things, like I'm probably not even going to watch the first one. So yeah, um, I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, like now nah, this, this story is probably not that great. So I'll just move on. Um, and I can tell like when I put the episode previews up there, there, I keep them under a minute for the previews, but like it's now like it's for Instagram stories and you can just see the drop off in numbers, um, from one to four. It's, uh, when I get one that, that holds somebody all the way through, uh, or the numbers kind of stay consistent, it's like, wow, that's, you know, I did something there. Do I know what it is? No. Um, can I figure it out? Like maybe, but like, it's, a uh, it, it's, it's just a weird kind of thing. Um, I mean, I kind of asked you before about, about where you mentioned that you were, you know, you are some uh, like nervous or, or you doubt yourself a little bit, but like, what is the worry there when you do, uh, the, the stories for Premier League in USA? Like what, like, and how do you, how do you put that aside? And I realize like we are talking for a long time, but I am, as long as you're okay, like I, I am interested. And I think like this is the stuff that like will help somebody like maybe just clear, it clears one kid's doubt, like you said, like, and, and encourages them to go for it. That, that this is why I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going down this rabbit hole, I guess. Yeah, no, definitely. I'm, I, trust me. I've got, I've got time and it's what I love to talk about as well. Um, but I still think today the hardest thing for me to do is talk to fans uh, before a game, if I if I don't have the time during the week because I work full time or sometimes more than full time, it seems uh, I don't really have the time in the week to pre-produce things and find fans who are willing to meet me, you know, before the game, behind the pub, whatever it may be. Um, so a lot of it comes down to if I need a fan story, it has to be someone that I find in a pub right out front of the stadium and that they're not in a rush to get inside. And on a match day, when people have had beers or they're waiting for friends or whatever it may be like more often than not, they don't want to talk to an American stranger who is asking you to be on their Instagram story without having any idea who they are, or what it's about, or like what it is. And I have, I still haven't really been able to explain what I'm doing very, very quickly and efficiently to people who don't know what Instagram stories are. So <laughs> more often than not, it ends up being kids. You'll, you'll see this, like anytime I'm getting an opinion, uh, with a bunch of fans, more often than not, it's kids or people that are like, 18, 19, who, who know what Instagram stories is. And I can show them that I'm logged into the Premier League thing. Yeah. Uh, because they instantly, there's some sort of trust there. But if I go up to a bunch of middle-aged fans and say, Hey, can you tell me about, you know, the difference between Liverpool and Arsenal or Liverpool and Everton and do it within a 15 second bite, they look at me like I've got three heads. So <laughs> getting, I think getting fans to talk is one thing and, and share their story, getting it to be an, I don't know the, really the way to put this, but like getting it to be interesting enough within 15 seconds for someone at home that is probably still watching in bed, who's tired and isn't really focused. Like that's the hardest part is to, to dilute this stuff to, or maybe not dilute it, but to, to double down on things that are actually interesting that if I'm half asleep and maybe still hung over in bed on the West coast and it's like 6am before the game starts, what is it that this person's telling me that I'm actually interested in? I think there have been a lot of people interviewed in bars about soccer and their fandom and all that stuff. 
And some of it's really good and some of it honestly can be trash sometimes. And so my biggest goal in life is to find those stories that catch people, find those stories and be able to tell them in a way that people are willing to stay and listen for. Yeah. When you actually get into the matches, does doing this job or whatever you want to call it, does it change the way that you, you watch the matches? Like, are you, are you constantly worried about content? Uh, which is a word that like I realize is like a, a standard, but I, it's like something I, I can't say without cringing. Um, so sorry. Um, no, it's all good. But like, I mean, has it, has it changed the way you kind of look at a match uh, or, or are you able to kind of like compartmentalize and just enjoy because you are a football fan, like first and foremost? Yeah. It's, <laughs> the answer is it is 100% changed because I have not been in the stands before kickoff yet this year because every single game there's Wi-Fi issues or cell signal issues at like within a mile radius. So I'll be like ticket in hand about to go and just trying to push up this last, you know, swipe up to watch the game. Hope you guys enjoy. Mm -hmm. I'm going in and it's not going because there are, you know, 60,000 people in the same area using cell service. So I then have to run literally like I'll run a mile away from the stadium to get cell service, wait for it to finally like register and then the stuff to upload and then run back. And by that time, like, I mean, this is, this is the part that I'm so embarrassed about because I should be better at managing my time now that I've done this like 20 times, <laughs> but without fail, I could be in a place eight hours ahead of time and I'll still be late to the game. That is like, th- that part kills me. So yes. And to answer the question, yes, it changes because I missed the first 20 minutes, but it also, <laughs> it also makes me focus much more on, kind of the balance of how, who's playing well and regardless of the result, because aside from city winning at home, most of the time uh, the club that I'm going to see loses or draws. Uh, so I can't always just expect them to win and then talk about how great they played. It has to be okay. Maybe assuming that they're going to lose four nil, what is the shining spot or what is maybe the downfall? What are the things that they have to work on? But I'm like I said earlier in the three words that I described myself, I'm an optimist. Like I'm not here to rag on anybody or anyone's club or anything like that. If someone just got throttled 8-0, I'm looking for the outside back who, after the seventh goal went in, still was clapping his hands and telling his guys to, like, come on, we're better than this. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm looking for the bright spots in this stuff regardless, and I hope that it doesn't ever come off as generic post-match thoughts, which I think sometimes you kind of run in the danger of, of like, you know, they lost 2-0, but there's a lot of young talent out there, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like, I still want it to be interesting and, and engaging, but that is ultimately what I end up watching for during the game. Okay. And quickly, kind of anecdotally, a, a good friend of mine over here, Danny Carbassian, he's been on the, the story a couple of times. He's a scout at Arsenal. He's the first American to, to score for Arsenal. Um, so he played for them a couple of years ago, but he's now a scout. And I spend a lot of time kind of listening to Danny. And we've gone to games together and kind of watching how he watches the game. He couldn't care less what the score is. Right. A, from the scout point of view, he's watching a, a list of very specific things to get a picture of a player or you know, a back four or uh, a striker up top, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And I've learned that his way of watching the game is very different from mine. I'm more concerned about how are chances being created and who's finishing them. Mm-hmm. Danny's watching like the center back when everyone else is up for a corner. I found it been really interesting to try to kind of mimic what he, what he, or how he approaches watching a game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of refreshing to know that like, I'm not the only weirdo who, who tries to do that or who, is interested in that stuff. So it's, it's nice. Um, all right. Like I, I have a couple more things for you if that's okay. Like, you know, yeah. 
Um, so just kind of quick fire questions uh, related to the Premier League and uh, Premier League and USA Instagram story, uh, or as you call it, I think it's on the ground, right? With, yes. Um, favorite like town or city that you've been to, like maybe most interesting place that you've been to so far. Um, great question. Um, either Burnley or Newcastle. All right. What about just stadium? Not atmosphere, atmosphere, but stadium. Uh, favorite stadium so far. Ooh, uh, it's got to be Craven Cottage. Although Brighton, Brighton is sick. Yeah. There are a lot of, this is, this is not quick fire. (laughs) There are a lot of like, the thing that I love most is no matter how similar some of these stadiums are, they're all completely different. And that's been the most fun part. Um, like the the atmosphere is completely different too, but the fans, the stadiums are just fascinating. Um, best atmosphere, uh, Liverpool Anfield. best food, whether it's city or in, in the, uh, in the stadium itself. Oh, um, I'm for sure a homer here. I think a lot of the stadiums have really good food, but the cottage pie at Craven Cottage is unlike any other. I'm licking my lips as I, as I say this. It's so good. <laughs> Nicest or most gracious player, manager, coach, team rep you've ever met on, uh, while doing this? Watford. Um, the, the comms guy who's, in many ways, his job is to say no to things. Literally, like, he put me on the pitch. If we're being honest, like you put me in, in positions that I'm probably not supposed to be in. Um, <laughs> and he like I was kind of unsure about it. And I was texting the guys at the Premier League like, hey, like this is the situation. What should we do? And they were ultimately like, look, if he's telling you to go there, like go there. So I was he cleared it with Man United. It was at Watford. It was um, it was Man United game is a big TV game for them is big for them to reach the U.S. audience. And he put me on the pitch when the players were walking out, put me in the dugout when like the team were warming up. It was just like a lot of the stuff that I just not even like, I'm not even holding it against any other club. Like probably legally there's a contract somewhere saying that I shouldn't be there. Yeah. Uh, he was, his attitude is basically just like, this means a lot to us as a club. Like I'm, I'm happy to ask for forgiveness later. Um, if need be. So that was like amazing. That was, it was so sick. Yeah. And what it like a great club just top to bottom. Like people just, it was amazing. Yeah. Um, are you your own harshest, harshest critic? Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, th- what I will say is that the, the group of guys that we have working on the Premier League in the U.S. account just across the board, like I, thankfully I get to do fun stuff on the weekends, but they're guys that put in a lot of long hours and put in a lot of effort to make sure that this is a useful and fun engagement outlet for, for the U.S. fan. Yeah. Like those guys, those guys are amazing. And thankfully they give me really, really good feedback and tell me when stuff sucks and like, that is the greatest thing I could ever ask for. Genuinely, like the worst thing I could imagine is doing this without getting any feedback. It, it would be like miserable if everyone's just like, "Yeah, it's great all the time." Blah blah blah. It's like, well, clearly, like we need to. I need something more than that. And those guys, uh, at this point, thankfully, are open and honest with me. And I hope the fans, whoever are watching this, like I genuinely hope that if you guys love something or if you guys hate something, uh, that you feel comfortable telling me. You could damn it to me, whatever. Um, because I want to, I genuinely want to know. I want to make it better. Yeah. Um, all right. There's some questions that I didn't write down that I have for you. Uh, similar kind of stuff. Like to the U.S. fan, like who is the most recognizable person that you could text right now that you would get a text back? Like who who's in your phone or who's whose DMs are you in that that you would get a response that somebody from the U.S. would go like, what what is that? How how does that happen? Um, uh, good question. Um. I'd have to go probably either. Wow, that's a good question. Um, probably either Heather O'Reilly or Steve Nash. Jesus. 
damn. Two gr- two great people, like great human beings. Really, really awesome people. Uh, yeah. Um, I remember last year you were going to a lot of Fulham matches and Heather O'Reilly was over there. She was playing. And uh, so you guys were at Fulham matches together. I remember going like, like how, do, like, how does this happen? Like, what is this? But it was, it was great. And she is uh, just loved by everyone over here. You know, um, if you listen, She's I listen the to the Blazers podcast and they absolutely adore her. And uh, yeah, it's always want her to do well. Always root for her when she comes on the pitch. Um, is it awkward when a follower, you know, recognizes you on the street? Uh, yeah, sometimes <laughs> I'm still not. It, it's happened a handful of times and every single time. I walk away regretting the way I handled it. Like, I don't think I've ever handled it poorly in terms of like, Oh no, like let's not take a photo, blah, blah, blah. But every single time I'm, I'm like shocked. It's still very surprising. And it hasn't, I'm not here to say like it, it happens all the time, blah, blah, blah. Like it's happened a couple of times in random places, like at uh, Wimbledon one time and at games, I'm, I'm not as shocked just cause it's a soccer audience. Right. But right. at a tennis match, when a kid asks you for a selfie, I'm like, does he know like I'm not a famous person. Like who does he think I am? Does he think I'm Paul Rudd or something like that? Um, but every single time it's happened, I'm just like, God, like I wish I got the kid's name or I wish I got his handle. Or I wish we took a photo on my phone or like, I wish I just took the time to ask him about him. Like I, I, I'm not a celebrity. I'm not a famous person. I get to do cool stuff and I'm so lucky for that. But like if, if I walk away feeling like I'm a celebrity, then shame on me. Like if, if I, don't make that person walk away thinking like, Hey, I met Chris Mackey and he's an awesome, he's just like genuinely an awesome dude. Like he, you never would have thought that he uh, was a recognizable person or anything like that. Like that I think is ultimately what I would want my legacy to be. Like I can say that when I went over to, to, to London, like I'd never been out of the country before. I'd never been out of the United States and the entire family last Easter time went over and, um, I felt really awkward because I wanted, I had friends uh, that I had met through doing this, through doing the podcast and had people over there that I, that I knew and they knew I was coming. Um, I announced it on the show. It, it kind of went out on Twitter that I was going. And I remember feeling so like awkward, like showing up and having somebody go like, Oh yeah, you're the American guy that was coming over this week. I was like, can you never say, can you never can you not say that out loud? Like, I just want to be, yeah. I just want to <laughs> yeah. be here. Like, yeah, you know, like I'm, I, the look on my face as I walk into the stadium, um, because it was, it was at, it was at the London stadium, uh, just after an international break. But the, the, the match before was when they had had the pitch invasion, um, and they were throwing stuff at the, the owner's box and stuff like that. So like I was walking into kind of like what I was, what I understood to be a kind of contentious situation. I just wanted to take it all in, you know? Yeah. And some guy in the bathroom goes like, Hey, I recognize you. You're the American guy. I'm like, Hey, would you shut, just shut up and pee? Like, you know, and let's just <laughs> yeah. move on with our days. I've but, seen this movie before green street Hooligans. It doesn't turn out well. I'm American <laughs> guy, no longer. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you could give one piece of advice to someone who wants to make it in whatever line of work it is, doesn't have to be media, doesn't have to be sport. Just if they happen to hear this, this thing from you, who's kind of taken a path that is not something I'm not sure I could do. Um, what, what piece of advice would you give them? Um, don't be afraid to, don't be afraid to chase it no matter what it looks like. So like for you, someone who, loves your job, could never imagine yourself moving across the sea or whatever, whatever it may be like starting up. That's a massive success. And I think a lot of people would never, myself included, like I can't imagine the time and effort that goes into creating a, a great podcast, that kind of stuff, like define your own success. If, if you want to work in soccer, 
figure out what angle you want to take and work in soccer. If you, if you love data science, then become a, become a soccer scientist, figure out the analytical side of the game, make your own lane if you need to. Um, but by no means should you subscribe to what the world continue or what the world currently tells you the opportunity is and chase that. If you want to be a doctor, be a doctor. If you want to be a doctor and work in soccer, be a team doctor, like figure out your own path, uh, and, and chase after that because no one else will tell you the way to do it. And no matter how many great mentors you have in, in a lifetime, at the end of the day, what they're going to tell you is that you need to figure it out, what, figure out what you love and, and figure out how to get there. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Chris. I appreciate this so much. Um, like I told you before, like I was a little bit nervous. And that does it for episode 103 of the Southampton Delivery Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope that you've enjoyed it. Special thanks this week goes out to Chris Mackey, who spent well over two hours of his time letting some guy from California who supports a team in the Premier League ask him a bunch of questions that he probably never thought anybody would want to ask him. Um, but I really think that there is a lot of value in there for a lot of people. Um, and so thank you. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate that. If you're not sure how to follow Chris or not sure how to get a hold of him, you can do that on Twitter or Instagram. On both platforms, he is at MXCCHI. There are links and things in the show notes, so go read up, check it out. Uh, enjoy the ride because it's a, it's a fun time. If you want to follow this show on Twitter or Instagram, I'm not as much fun as Chris, but uh, still there. So we're at SFCDELL underscore IVERY on Twitter and Instagram. We're at facebook.com forward slash SFC delivery. There is no underscore in the Facebook address. Now, this episode wasn't like normal episodes, but we will be back next week with one of those. And our partner page, the Southampton page on Twitter and Instagram for all your kind of saints news and needs. Uh, they help make sure that that comes out every week. So uh, we'll be back with that. The logo is designed by Matt Beeling of the We Are Southampton page on Instagram. Matt, has been a friend of the show since day one, and he's now going to be doing graphics and stuff for the Saints media team. So congratulations to Matt on your new adventure. All music for the show comes courtesy of the Free Music Archive at freemusicarchive.org. The intro song is Epic Song by Boxcat Games. And the end of show credits that you're listening to right now is Aim is True by Poddington Bear. Links to all those things are in the show notes. And if you're enjoying it, please consider subscribing. Uh, you can do that on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, or wherever you get your podcast. And if you're really, really enjoying it, consider leaving a review or becoming a supporter on patreon.com forward slash SFC delivery. There is a link in the show notes if you wish to do that. You get some extra stuff um, and it really helps make sure the show keeps going. So with all that said, thank you so much for listening. I hope that you've enjoyed it. Uh, happy New Year. And until next time, remember that together, we march on.